0: Hello and welcome back to Control Alt Delete. This is a replay episode with the brilliant Cathy Heller. Cathy is the host of the popular podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job, which has now been renamed as the Kathy Heller Show. And it's one of my favourites. It got me through many of the lockdowns. It has had over 20 million downloads. And in this conversation, we talk about her book of the same name called Don't Keep Your Day Job, which was released in 2019. It's a really great practical careers book. It goes into detail about how to find the work you're meant to do, grow your business and wake up to a life you love. This episode got amazing feedback when it was first aired, so I hope you enjoy listening and discovering Kathy's brilliant work. I have binged everything you've ever made during this horrible lockdown period, so thank you for getting me through it in an easier way. I just want to say thanks.
1: That means so much to me. I, You know, you do things... And you don't really get that other people are really listening. You know, you kind of know, but it means a lot, especially coming from someone who's so smart and who's making such beautiful content yourself. So- That's so nice. Thank you. Thank you. I know what you mean, because sometimes
0: I'm sure you must see like the download number and you can't actually fathom that they're real people sitting at home feeling things. So Right. It's true. But I also read your book recently and really wanted to talk to you because not only do you host the amazing podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job, but there's a book version and I absolutely loved it it was so nice hearing more about you. I did not know about your amazing career that goes in so many different directions. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about your part in the music industry? Because that really was just so interesting to me and how you clearly are such a lateral thinker, like you think outside of the box and you broke into that industry in a way that isn't necessarily traditional
1: that's so nice yeah and it's really nice to hear people talking about the book once in a while because as soon as I turned it in I was like cringing like I could write something better and then when the book comes out for those of you who know the ins and outs of publishing you know the book doesn't come out for at least a year from the time you wrote it which makes you feel like I could have written six new versions of this already but then to think you know what Kath there was still a message that is at the heart of what you have to say that was obviously in the book and it's touching people. It makes me feel really good because now it's been two, three years since I wrote it and I'm like, ah. So I do share a little bit about my background and I do think it's cool for people to hear it because sometimes you see somebody who's like a business strategist or a life coach and what did they do all these years? They were a business strategist or a life coach, right? They didn't actually work in the world. So for me, the entire reason that I started a podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job is because I did that exact thing. I worked normal jobs, whatever that means, nine to five, helping other people with their visions until I couldn't speak. I couldn't I couldn't stand who I was when I looked in the mirror. I didn't recognize myself and I wanted to be me. I wanted to go to sleep at night feeling like I did my thing in the world. And so I worked my way into the music industry. And I think for a lot of people, they believe that it's all or nothing. So they, we fool ourselves, right? We, we underestimate ourselves we overestimate what's actually there and we don't know where we fall in all of that for instance it's like oh yeah i have a, a a liking towards music but it's either beyonce or nothing so i will work in the insurance world right like it's like what those are not the two possibilities it's like i love baking and so i'm never going to do anything with it because you're either rachel ray or you're no one. It's like, what is that? That's so not the case, right? There's a million points of light on the spectrum between me and Steve Jobs, between me and whoever, right? Okay. So I initially went to LA when I was 24, thinking exactly that way. And I tried to get a record deal and I wrote mediocre songs and then I wrote slightly better songs. And I worked a day job while trying to get these meetings and I finally got a record deal at Interscope, I was actually in the room when Gaga was recording paparazzi. I'm your biggest fan. I was like, she's good. This will work. And then I got dropped from the label six weeks later, which is a story that most artists tell because they sign lots and lots of people. And then they go, nah, nah, nah. There's like development. Oh, we're in development with this. It's like studios optioning scripts and four of them actually get made. So I got dropped. I then got signed to Atlantic Records and I was like, I love Atlantic Records. This is such a better place for me. Never happened. So I wound up being like, okay, wah, wah. This is where you like go get the real job. And I did that for three years until I was like, wait, let me ask a new question. Is there ever anything in between that being a star and selling out stadiums and doing this thing which feels so beneath who i'm supposed to be. So i was like, what if there's something else? And that question opened up my entire life to me and i started to look for that answer. And what you seek is seeking you. And so long story short, i decided what are other artists doing to make a living in music? And i start researching and looking at articles. I'm like, oh, some artists tour. Oh, some oh, some artists license their music to- to film and TV shows. What does that mean? I start looking into it. I'm like, oh my God, Ingrid Michaelson, Snow Patrol. Um, all of these artists were indie artists at the time who didn't have record labels, who were writing songs and sending them to Paramount, NBC, Lionsgate, Disney soundtracks. And then they were making independent deals per song and Coca-Cola would use the song in an ad. And Disney would use the song in a trailer. And I said, what the hell? Where have you been all my life? Why have I never even considered this? So I said, what if I quit my job? And I put all of my energy into answering the question of how could I get my song's license? And I did that. And I felt so free and I felt so happy. And I started to take all the resourceful, inspired action. And what do you know? I started to make connections with people whose job it was to find songs for Grey's Anatomy, Pretty Little Liars. The other shows at the time were like One Tree Hill. And oh my God, I started to license my songs. And $9,000, thank you so much. Oh, and we don't even own it. You can license it again. What? Oh, McDonald's comes along. Hey, Kath, we'll give you 55 grand for that song. Okie doke. Now I have a song in a Crate and Barrel ad. Oh, now I'm doing Old Navy. What's happening? Next thing I know, Emma, I'm making $300,000. I'm not famous. I'm not coming with all the hoopla paparazzi to the coolest clubs in town. No one's snapping my photo. But I was like, this is the jackpot. I'm at Disneyland, essentially, like going to the studio every day and being paid to do the thing that I love and pick up a ukulele and play percussion and sing these sweet little songs, which meant something to me. It it didn't matter to me. I was like, every human deserves this exact feeling. And so for, for one decade, for one whole decade, 10 years, this is what I did. I went to the studio and wrote a song. And then the next day I would sit in front of my laptop and figure out the business side. Who needs the song? Where do I pitch it, blah, blah, blah. And lo and behold, the things, it's like an iceberg. The things that we do in private eventually become known in the public. So the things under that water eventually become things that no, 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 they actually make a difference. So next thing I know, I get a call from Billboard magazine. Can we write a full page feature on how you are DIYing your whole music career? I'm like, okay. I remember sitting down with the editor of Billboard, Phil Gallo, And I said to him, is this really newsworthy? Like, I can't believe. And then he said, note to self, if you're ever sitting down with a journalist, specifically the editor of the (laughs) periodical, don't question their judgment on like, if it's a good story. He was sweet, but he was like, I think it's newsworthy. I said, why? He said, because there are millions of people for every famous human that's in this magazine. There's a line of people around the block who have talent who would love to know how they're going to break into this. And I was like, whoa, what is this now? And all of a sudden, a whole nother door opened, which was I was getting the message from the universe that I got to have a role in helping light other people's path. And it wasn't clear at first, right? At first, I was still an artist. I've had a very precious identity. I'm an artist. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a course creator. I didn't even know what online business was. But I started to get the knock at the door and I literally started to get the knock when songwriters in droves read those articles in Variety, LA Weekly. There were these full page stories written about me one after another in the biggest magazines about music and and the arts and songwriters would email me, thousands of them. I read that article. Can I take you to lunch? I read that article. Do you ever have a class on this? Could you do a workshop? So very grassroots after two years of hearing that exact question, could you help me with my career? I just decided to do a workshop, a local workshop. And I couldn't believe that people came. Then I did it again. It was fun. Then I asked them more of what they wanted to know. Then I did it again. Then there was a girl who lived in San Luis Obispo, which is three hours from LA where I was. And she said, I can't get down there. Would you ever do this online so that I can learn it? And I go online sounds." gross. Like I just online to me sounded like people sitting in front of a jet, like looking like super slick, like you want to make a million dollars. And she's like, no, no, literally just for the simplicity of people who can't get to LA can, you don't have to become a sleazy person. I was like, you know what? She's right. So what if I did this? So she's like, yeah, you should do a free webinar first to let songwriters know, and then let us know when we can sign up. I'm like, great. So I do a webinar and it all kind of exploded from there.
0: In your book, especially when you tell the story, it's like such an innocent place you're coming from where you're like, really? Do you want me to do it online? Stuff like that. Whereas now it's burst into this huge industry of a lot of people selling things online. And some of it, you you don't really know if it's scammy or not. I mean, the workshop industry, it it has freaked me out a little bit.
1: It's it, it, it should, because there's so much coming at us all the time. And, you know, the nice thing is that we talked about Seth Godin a couple minutes before we pressed record. And you can tell from miles away who has true empathy and who has real substance. And what's really cool is that in a sea of curated, fake hype, you can feel the difference. And you know, I'm a songwriter, I'm sensitive, I like poetry, I like Joni Mitchell, I like to feel things deeply. So it's actually an advantage. Because when they zig, I zag, I don't have a single automated anything in my entire business. So you can kind of feel it. And I think it actually, it makes my audience maybe it's smaller but it's powerful and it's engaged Absolutely. and it's exactly how i want it
0: <laughs> yes and i want to ask you actually about community in a minute because you you are so brilliant at it and what you how well you know your listeners is amazing but oh. on that note i think to anyone listening as well i think your story is so inspiring for many reasons but i also think that we're in this culture of like you say, being the Beyonce or being an influencer or having followers or being like the face of a thing. There's so many amazing jobs that are so creative and doesn't mean you have to necessarily have your face out there. You know, for, for a lot of people, they don't really want to do that anyway. I know that you're sort of in the middle because people obviously know you and follow you. Some
1: people do. Some Most Most people, even if you round it up to the nearest millionth of downloads, most humans have never heard of me and never will. It's beautiful. It's fine. I think the reason that we want our face, we want our, whatever those words are you were just using is because deeply, deeply every human wants to feel seen and we want significance. That's good. That's not a bad thing, right? We want to come to this earth. And know that it mattered that we were here. Thank God we want that. However, the way that we get that is from the actual transaction of meeting another human being and contributing to them. And feeling like you made a stamp. You made an impact. You made an imprint. That happens from the depth of the connection, not from the width. Right. So that's important. What's also important is to recognize that we, again, we overestimate and underestimate in the wrong ways. We overestimate what it would take for us to be able to make a living making a smaller, more engaged dent. And we underestimate our ability. What I mean is the people that I admire and the way that I have chosen to work, I've seen it again and again and again, that with a small group, a small group who you serve, you will make literally millions rather than trying to make something again for everyone. When we make something for everyone, it's very vanilla, it's very boring, and we're, we're missing the depth. When we make the thing for a thousand people, for 400 people, they become evangelical about it. And what I saw is when I did do that first webinar for songwriters, which the only reason it's called a webinar, I guess, is because I was using the internet, but I didn't use a single slide. That's never been my thing I don't have a webinar script. I don't, I I don't relate to it It actually makes me anxious to even think about it. Whenever I've been asked to give a talk on stage, I beg them, please let me not use a PowerPoint. I will lose myself. I don't know how to do that. I just know how to show up and be present and hope that I can make an honest connection with the audience. Would you mind? And they're like, okay, can you tell us what you're going to talk about? I'm like, Generally, I'll talk about this. (laughs) They're like, okay, we'll try it. They like toss their fingers. And then it's always really great because I want to be with people. So in any case, I did that webinar, quote unquote, with no slides. Me, I was pregnant. It was the summer. I was hot. And I just told my truth. And at the end, I made an offer. And it was for songwriters at the time, right? It was a specific thing. Do you, as a songwriter, want to learn how to license music to film and TV? If you do, that's something that I've been doing for 10 years. I would love to show you how to make that happen. And I came up with an offer. I was like, I'll hang out with you for a year, for $9.97, for $1,000. I would never make that offer today. Now, when I teach programs, which I do, they're 12 weeks, which by the way, there's a lot of intentionality why I choose that. Because I think people are, we have like a 90-day cycle and I think it's better actually to keep them engaged and keep them willing to show up and complete the work if you make it shorter, not longer. So now I do 12 weeks and it's $3,000, okay? And it's because I've, of course, grown a ton and I've made it so much about the implementation factor. And so in any case, that night, Emma, my very first webinar, do you wanna come with me for this songwriting program? 147 people bought it. So in one day, not from a thousand, not from 5 million, from 147 humans, I made 147 grand in a day. Then a few months into that journey, one of my songwriting students, Amy Loftus, she was in my class. She said, you should start a podcast. This is not something that's just for songwriters. What you are teaching us is a whole paradigm shift about how to get resourceful, how to make work that other people want you to ship. Right. And that is something most people who have a passion don't get. Most people who have a passion, they want to make what they want to make. And then they're like, ah, I don't know how to make this a business. And it's about the empathy. What I learned was instead of sending songs to Disney soundtracks and saying, use this one, I sent no songs and said, what story are you telling with the next project? What can I make for you? And they said, oh, my God artists don't ask us this. So from there, I started a podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job, similar to what you're doing, right? Thank God there's there's plenty of room for all of us to help people make this pivot. And I said, this is what it takes. This is what we're going to do. And I've had on all the different makers from fashion designers to makeup artists, to authors, to painters, to sculptors. I'm like, yes, like I want people to feel on their deathbed that they made those costumes, that they painted those paintings, that they taught the vegan cooking class. Yes, like do it, right? So um, it's been amazing. And what I wound up doing is I still run that whole music side. I now have, you know, what's so awesome. I now have the successful students from the program over the last four years. They run that program for me. And it, it is three grand for 12 weeks and we run it three times a year. And I only pop in now once a month and they do the rest because they're living proof of it. It's awesome.
0: That's amazing. That's such a good idea. And I've got to say, I really love because I, especially in the UK, we don't really talk about money in numbers still. Like, I, I mean, some people do, but there's still this secrecy around money. And in your book, you lay out the numbers. In this episode, you've already said loads of numbers. I love that because, like what you were saying about how there's a difference between a hobby and a job or a hobby and a business, sorry. A hobby is like you're serving yourself, but a business is reaching out and serving others. And like you say, making stuff for them to receive it and want it. But I love that you can do both in your message that came across. You can make money and you can feel like you have a purpose. They don't have to be separate.
1: A hundred percent. And what wound up happening is that songwriting workshop wound up serving 300 people every time we would do it, 500 people every time we would do it. Now it's, and now, now it's $3,000. So that every time we launch that songwriting program for 12 weeks, we're talking about $2 million. And I have a whole team now of other songwriters who I get to pay to now teach what they're now doing. It's so cool. And then the new students get to make a living from it. And uh, so cool. And then we started, I started this program called made to do this. And I do that for the listeners of Don't Keep Your Day Job who are, who are at the point where whether you're a songwriter, a sculptor, a candle maker, a yoga teacher, you want to clarify your calling. And in 12 weeks, figure out how to go from idea to income. And it's like that canoper, like that spark of fire. And then we get them into action. And at the end of our last program, we had 527 people in it. They, by the last week, collectively, no joke. There were 51,000 customers between the 527 people. We tallied it up. They made their offers, and we had 51,071 customers served by these 500 who were doing all these creative things. One's doing hand lettering, one's painting jackets, one's making these paper cuts. I mean, the coolest stuff. So we teach people how to do this, and it is so life giving to me. And so yeah, I am 100, I'm 100% here to say it's not mutually exclusive. It's not I do what I love and starve or I work for somebody else's dream and I'm miserable, but I make just enough money to pay the bills. Oh, no, 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 no. I think this is political for me. For me, it's like, let's use our own two hands and do the thing we were put in the world to do. I grew up in a house where my parents were miserable. My dad was a drinker. My dad left. My mom suffered from manic depression, was in and out of a psychiatric institute, tried to commit suicide three times. I lived alone most of my childhood, and I knew my parents were in so much pain they couldn't take care of me. And I asked the question my whole life as I would go to sleep at night. What the hell is this? I would ask, I would be like if there's a god, this living down here in this body is miserable. What is the point? Like what's the point you grow up to be an unhappy adult who is so is suffering so much just in their head, in their experience. I can't I can't grow up for that to be the outcome. And I actually considered ending my journey because When you're alone and you're 11 and no one's tucking you in and no one's making you dinner and it's, you're living in this apartment. And I was kind of just left in this void. And I wound up saying, wait a minute, like, I, what if I turn it around and I become a seeker and I seek the answer to happiness? And so at a very young age, I started to read Every book I could get my hands on, from Don Miguel Ruiz to Deepak Chopra to Wayne Dyer to anything. I was just like craving purpose and meaning. And I barely graduated from high school. It's a whole long story. And I went to college on academic probation, like a a state school. And they were like, What are you going to major in? And I was like, I just want my hands on like philosophy, religion, anthropology. Like, I want to know why the hell people have agreed to like live on this planet, like to like ride it out. (laughs) And so I studied and studied and studied. And what I found is that the opposite of the sadness is not happiness. It's not happiness, it's meaning. And the meaning comes from contribution. And so part of the reason you see the mob mentality on both extremes, let's say politically, is people are... People are not filled up doing things that give them meaning. So this becomes like religion. You know, it's like, oh, I'll spend eight hours arguing on Facebook with somebody. What if instead of that, you opened a bead shop on Main Street and you help people put necklaces together and the tears just came down your face because you love doing it. I studied at the UCLA Mindful Awareness Center for three years, and they did all these fMRIs on people and they wanted to measure what lights up most in the brain. Is it love? Is it joy? Is it hate? It's none of them. The thing that lights up the most in the brain is enthusiasm. When we are in a state of enthusiasm, we turn on, all the lights in the system go off. How often are we living there? We've decided that all these BS things are not true. One of the beliefs that's BS is there's no way I'll ever get to do what I love. So why would I even talk about my passion? It actually hurts to talk about it because I've decided A, I'm not good enough at it. B, it's not possible. What the hell does that mean? I want to show people you're not the best hand letterer. You could still do it. You could create a membership for people who are just beginners and you could curate different people who are great at different DIY crafting things who come in once a week and you could create a membership of 4,000 people. That's 27 bucks a month who you're not saying, look at me. You're saying, come with me. I know a person who did exactly that. She makes $88,000 a month from that membership from enthusiasm. I feel very
0: lucky that I grew up knowing that books and writing, like that's me done. Like they're my favorite things. As long as I have books, I'm genuinely fine. Yeah. What about the person, and I know you unpick this a lot, But what about the person that has no idea what their purpose is or no idea? Like they literally look around and they're like, I don't think I'm enthusiastic about anything.
1: I love this question. So this is why I do made to do this because I actually initially thought that what people needed was the steps to building their thing. And I realized from talking to my audience, which I highly recommend everyone does, no matter what they're doing, it's like, ask your people what they need. I found out that most people actually don't know what they want to spend their life doing. They just know that what they're doing doesn't make them feel lit up. So that's why I created this thing called made to do this, which the main promise is let's figure out what it is. So, um, I don't know when this is airing, but I'm actually doing a five day workshop next week called it's your turn all about helping people figure out what is, what is, is is it that I'm here to do? Cause I want to take my turn. And so I, I asked them a few few different questions. First of all, write a letter to you from your seven-year-old self. What does she tell you that she loves? And what does she tell you that breaks her heart? Because often it's a mixture of the two. Often our pain turns into a purpose, a way that we are here to solve a problem. And often the thing that we love doing, we love doing for a reason. So for me, my 7-year-old self said, "I love music because it gets me out of here. It takes me away from all of this pain and it makes me feel my feelings. I feel like it's like a friend, you know, you listen to Carol King, Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell and you're like, that is the best therapy right? Someone to sit beside you and let you feel your feelings. That's what music does for me, right? And I wanted to write music because I wanted to write the the songs that said the things that would help people feel less alone. So those were the songs I did write for Disney and Grey's Anatomy. It was the songs about like, you can count on me to be here. I will stay. Or Let your color shine is a song of mine about how like we each have something significant. So look at that, like what's in there. So I say to people, write a letter to you from seven-year-old you, because there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there. Then I say, write down five dream lives, five dream lives, and then close your eyes and think about each one and put your hand on your chest, on your heart and notice in your body, which one makes you feel the most like butterfly, like expansive, and which one makes you feel like a little constricted. So people will write down, open a bed and breakfast, be a visual artist, choreograph, uh, local talent, I don't know, whatever people write down. And it's like, which one makes that? Oh, and then guess what we do? When we go to start a business, the other piece about this is realizing that business and hobbies, the thing that makes them different is there's money involved, right? A hobby is not about money. It's about you and you alone. A business is actually about other people. So when it comes to what do I want to do as it relates to a calling for work, then we take the letter from ourselves at seven. We take those five dream lives and then we say, okay, what is the most um, obvious problem that I can solve with whatever's coming up that I'm, that I'm looking at here. And then I say to people, take the overwhelm out of it. Take the overwhelm out of it. Meaning you looked at all this stuff and you look at the world and now you say, so what's the easiest or what's the quickest, or what's the problem I could solve that my aunt Betsy asked me for. And you say, well, I, I said, I loved animals. I'm really interested in vegan food. And I guess one thing I could do is make like a fake vegan corned beef. Is it my absolute existential, you know, like reason for being? I'm going to put that on the side. What I am going to do is say, boy, that lights me up because I love the reason behind it. I'm saving animals. I like vegan food in general. And I do make a mean old fake corned beef. Let's work on that all in. And this, by the way, is my friend, my best friend's story, Jenny Goldfarb. She started a, a thing called Unreal Deli. And that's exactly how she and I talked it through. And that's exactly what she went and did. Now she's in thousands of grocery stores. She's in all the different delis. It's insane. And she stopped herself from overthinking it. And she lights up because it does. She's really passionate about the environment and animals. And by the way, She's also not judgmental because I'm not a vegan, even though I want to be, and she doesn't, she's not one of those people who like judges, but she, she loves what she's doing. It gives her a tremendous amount of purpose and holy crap, she made a ton of money. So I like to do a composite of those things. And I believe that we are always being led by iterating. So very often you have to do a little bit of looking and then you make an action. You take, you take some action, you make a decision and you start applying the principles that I teach to how to build a business to whatever is that first easy one to just try. And guess what? You'll be led to where you're actually really supposed to be by going all in because every great inventor always starts that way, right? You just start like putting the key in the different locks and you're like, oh, this one actually is the right fit. Oh my God, what an amazing answer. And like you say, that
0: enthusiasm that is what gets you up and ready to go and the motivation to keep going. And that's when normally things do become a success because, you know, something that people always say to me is like, well, how do you keep going? How have you done like 300 episodes of the podcast? How do you keep writing? Like what keeps you going? So I think a lot of people give up near the beginning because they haven't found, they haven't tapped into the lighting up part. And that's the thing that keeps going. But, um, I absolutely love that. And I guess I wanted to ask you you have a lot going on. You have multiple income streams. You have three kids. You are someone that is incredibly self taught. That's what I got from the book. I was like, wow, you just <laughs> go out there and like learn this stuff. Like no one tells you, you go and figure it out. How do you avoid burnout? Because I think burnout has been you know, a word that we've been using for a long time. But last year in 2020, so many of my friends burnt out. And I just, I, I'm not saying that we have the answer, but how do you manage
1: everything and not
0: kind of reach that crash?
1: So I feel like I'm always working on that. You know, I, um, I'm i such an achiever and I'm, i am I'm such a doer and I'm so mission driven that I get so much from doing the work that I forget to nourish myself, take care of myself. And also as a kid who had a, like just a lot of abandonment, you know, receiving and taking care of me, that's a whole journey in and of itself, right? Like I'll forget to make myself breakfast and that's just kind of, I don't even notice my own needs sometimes. So I'm always working on that. There's a beautiful episode, by
0: the way, between Uh, between Kathy and Danielle Laporte just to the listeners if um, Mm -hmm. you need anything about that as well because you're quite vulnerable in that episode and you, you sort of say actually I have a lot going on at the moment and she gives you some quite good advice as well. She
1: was amazing she was like you know you say to yourself I'm crushing it I'm making this money I'm doing this and really you're like barely surviving because you're pushing too hard. And she even says in that episode, she's like, your friends will be like, oh my God, you're such a badass. Look what you're doing. And literally you're an addict. And it's just as dangerous to be a workaholic as it is to be any kind of an addict, because you can, you can literally the stress of any kind of addiction is dangerous. Right. So she says that, and she went through that as well. Right. That was a really lovely conversation. Um, Thank you for remembering it. So yeah, I think that the burnout is a real thing. The, the way that I do think that I am able to navigate some of it and why I don't think I would ever just be like, peace out on my business is because I don't front in my business. So it's not that part, that extra part, isn't tiring. Meaning, yes, I'm showing up. I'm putting in hours. Yes, I care. Yes, I'm coaching. Yes, I'm running programs. Yes, I'm running a membership. Yes, I'm putting out content. So there is, even if it's good stress, there's stress in the doing. However, when I'm doing whatever I'm doing, I am real AF. I'm not, there's no diva light ring in my office. There's no scripts. There's no PDFs. There's no trying to pretend so when I go live, I don't care if like my roots are showing and I need to get my hair done or if my husband and I are struggling, I'm going to share that. Or if I'm going through something really hard, I've sometimes like break down, like in my stories and I'm like, I just cried over nothing. And I think that just gives me actually a tremendous amount of freedom because I haven't set it up where it feels unsustainable. I think it's very unsustainable to be like, hi, here's my next tip and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And here I am again and da, 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 And like, that is so exhausting because you're trying so hard to be like a caricature. Yeah. So at least I don't have that. That's
0: so interesting because I, I think as well, even if someone is working in like an office job and they're burning out, a lot of it is because of the office politics or the, right. the email that's made you feel anxious. It's not necessarily the work. It's like right. the
1: stuff around the pretending. The pretending, yeah. And and you know, there's a lot of things. And and I say to my team, it's like, so we'll make a mistake, right? So we'll uh we'll we'll hire someone and and we didn't manage it perfectly because we don't micromanage, right? Ah. Oh, so we learned this person didn't, they weren't a self-starter. They're not right for the culture. So we'll bless and release. But like that's part of being in business, as opposed to being really buttoned up, having lots of systems and processes that even though they might help in a way, they cost you because it's so draining to create a con to, to create a culture and an environment where everyone is like working as if it's not real life. It's something else. And it needs a certain level from us. You know, it's like, yeah, maybe I am too much of a friend to my employees sometimes. That's okay. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe they shouldn't tell me when they just broke down because this just happened or that just happened. That's all right.
0: Yeah. I mean, work is... Such a huge part of our lives, and I compete hours a
1: day. Hours, we we boxer, we're Marco Polo. I just don't. I I can't handle it. A lot of my friends turn around and they go, "Oh my god, I thought I wanted to build a business. All I'm doing right now is I manage all this all these employees. I don't even get to do the thing I want to do. I'm like, so don't design it differently. I don't want that. So I don't have that kind of culture behind the scenes because I don't want to show up for that every day, right?
0: Oh, that makes so much sense. And I do wonder if there's no silver linings to tragic global events. But I do think that COVID times have, it's made everyone loosen up a bit with each other, I think. There's yes. no performance I know you've oh. always been working this way, but I feel like a lot of people, the penny has dropped this year of going on the Zoom with the greasy hair or just saying we're not okay to our bosses and colleagues and friends. You know, it's oh good God. to say that. Exactly.
1: But thank you so much for your time. And I, can I tell you, I've done so many of these interviews and I love this one so much that I would like you to give it to me because I would like to play it on my show. I'd love that amazing well I will send that to you and for
0: anyone listening go and listen to Kathy's podcast binge and enjoy